the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Friend, the Church of Jesus Christ, I believe, stands in direct opposition to any kingdom of slaves. We must pattern our existence after Goshen if we are to get to Canaan. Today on Reaching Your Heart, Pastor Michael Oxentango brings you the first portion of the Kingdom of Slaves and the Land of Goshen. We hope that you enjoy it. Remember, you can find these messages online at reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock, and you are always welcome. The broadcast is also streamed live at reachinghearts.org slash video. We'll have details on that and more as we continue with today's broadcast. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentango. Dear Father God, we are grateful today that we're saved by grace, an unusual kind of grace that reached down to us on Calvary's cross and arms that reached around the world and found us and love that dug in deep and wouldn't let us go until God said in Jesus, it is finished and we were home again needing in Him. How can we claim heaven? We can't, but heaven claimed us in Jesus. So Father, help us never to forget that we have been called as Christians to be free Not slaves, but free. And help us to know what that means today. We're going to dig into the Word, Lord. we got to study on our hands here. It requires thought and heart. Help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. The French philosopher Albert Camus once wrote that the only way to deal with an unfree world is to become so absolutely free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. I like that. He meant to say that slavery is something worth rebelling against and freedom is something worth fighting for in life. In this he got it right. Freedom is worth a fight for life. How many of you agree with that? We must fight for freedom. It's not going to be handed to you on a platter. It must be secured by a struggle. A. Philip Randolph, civil rights leader, once said that freedom is never given, it is won. As Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ fought the greatest battle ever fought on the cross of Calvary and in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Christ defeated Satan for us. Substitution, gift, objective, rooted in time, Christ died for us. Friend, your feelings can bounce around all over the place. You can feel disturbed by human events. You can let the Lord down, but I'm going to tell you something that you can hang your life on. There is an objective reality rooted in time that separates B.C. from A.D. in a way. And it's the cross of Jesus Christ. It is objectively what God has done for you, irregardless of how you feel. Christ died for us. And as Christians, we believe that this is the basis of our Christian freedom. And in His pure and noble victory, friend, 
Christ gave us the victory as a gift. In the church, real spiritual freedom is always at risk at the hands of those philosopher kings who come up with an idea that will look like it's good. They'll come up with theories that present themselves as the opportunity to create a whole new era of utopia. But in the end, without the Bible, without God's Word, without the truth, they don't go anywhere. And these philosopher kings would often lead us down the two ditches, one of legalism on the right and libertinism on the left. Neither are God's way. At the church of Corinth, the Apostle Paul fought against libertinism. The notion that you do whatever you want to do because you're a Christian. It doesn't matter. You're saved. You can just do whatever you want to do. Have you ever heard that kind of thing? I can live any way I want to because Christ died for me. No, you can't. 1 Corinthians 9.18, what then is my reward? Paul is asking a question of the believers at Corinth. Just this, he says, that in my preaching I may make the gospel free of charge. Not making full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. First Corinthians ten seven. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drank and rose up to dance. We must not indulge in immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put the Lord to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. He's saying, look, responsible living matters in the church. We cannot just live like the devil, come to the church on Sabbath, and act like it's all right. We must live for the Lord. And you know, a holy moral life matters as a Christian. There's no freedom in immorality and unholy existence, letting loose and doing whatever you want to do. So Christian freedom is not libertinism. The Apostle Paul fought against legalism also. These two extremes of the right and the left, of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, it's like human nature is always going into a ditch in one way or the other. And he fought against legalism at Galatia in his attempt to exalt the responsible use of freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, we can be so locked down as Christians that we're never free to do anything. We can be so particular we don't have fun in the church. We can have such a harsh attitude in the presentation of the Christian faith that there's no Christ in our presentation or our faith. It becomes a false religion, having the form of godliness, but no godliness. And look at Galatians 5.1. Paul says to these legalistic Christians at Galatia that he loved, he says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Friend, God has not brought you to the church for some well-to-do, good-intended church member to impose upon you his or her notion of what it means to be a Christian. God, through Scripture, speaks to your heart, through the body He speaks, and we are to grow up as free men and women in Jesus Christ. For freedom Christ has set us free. In the Bible, Egypt is a world kingdom system. It stands for evil oppression that built its mighty monuments on the backs of human slaves. The pyramids of Egypt patterned to resemble the three great stars of Orion's belt. In fact, the makers of those pyramids were masters in advanced mathematics. Every stone was engineered in a supercomputer of sort. And those supercomputers were the brains of those people. They were much more intelligent than we are today. And they patterned the three great pyramids to resemble the stars of Orion. So all of these monuments, though, as great as they were, were monuments to a kingdom of slaves. Egypt is and always will be, friend, a kingdom of slaves in Bible typology. In Bible prophecy, Egypt symbolizes the world kingdom order that doesn't need the God of the Bible, that has no place for his moral law or 
in their secular culture that excludes God. Egypt was a cobra kingdom. If you go and look at a satellite image of Egypt, you'll see from outer space that the Nile looks like a cobra with its head dipping into the Mediterranean. It was the symbol of one of the size of Egypt. And so it was a cobra kingdom because it was Satan's kingdom in Scripture. Egypt had been reinvented in the minds of many down through the centuries. The ideal of what is Egypt has come to us in modern times in the French Revolution, the creation of the secular era of modernity. The French Revolution was the reinterpretation and the reintegration of Egypt in the time of the end, according to the book of Daniel. Egypt in every age, friend, is a kingdom of slaves. But Jesus Christ on the cross died to set us free from the kingdom of slaves. Hagar was the slave woman servant of Egypt who became Abram's second wife, sorta, not really, but under Sarai. And Abraham came into Egypt because he compromised. There was a famine in the land. And he was afraid he couldn't make it unless he went to that great prosperous nation that could feed him. And when he went down to Egypt, he got into trouble. His wife was so beautiful. Pharaoh says, I tell you something, I want you to be my wife. I have a lot of them, but you're the prettiest. And Abram was in a real pickle. So he lied to get out of the pickle. Say, you're my sister. Well, half-sister, lie a little. Didn't work. Finally, God smote the nation with plagues, brought him out, and gave Abram a little lecture from Pharaoh. Why did you lie to me? And so the prophet of God had to grow up in God and learn. And Sarah walked out of Egypt with her head bowed because her husband had let her down. It was an awful thing. Hagar came to the mix. And Hagar had a child from unbelief. And that child of unbelief represents slavery. Look at Galatians 4.25. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, what does the Bible say? The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Two covenants, the old new covenant. One of legalism, of slavery, the other of freedom in Christ. Jerusalem above is our mother. Goshen was the land of freedom that allowed both Jacob and his family with 70 offspring to sprout tall and good for God. Goshen means cultivated. And Goshen is the place we must all go before we are to go back to Canaan. In a paradoxical kind of way, Goshen is the fertile Canaan here before the better Canaan there. In that sense, God wants our church to be a Goshen. I mean, if I had to think of a subtitle for the Reaching Hearts Church, I'd call it Goshen. We have a garden here. Do you notice that? You drive in our parking lot, these beautiful flowering trees. We have 12 acres in the back outside of the parking lot. We have this beautiful field. We have trees and you can walk in the woods. God has given us a Goshen, a cultivated place where we can grow. And in a paradoxical kind of way, we can't hang on to Goshen for all time to go to the promised land. At some point in the future, we're going to have to let it go. Friend, the church of Jesus Christ, I believe, stands in direct opposition to any kingdom of slaves We must pattern our existence after Goshen if we are to get to Canaan. Egypt as the kingdom of oppression represents bondage and slavery secured in many ways with a common outcome that is always the same. It's always the same with Egyptian kind of thinking. You end up a slave. Goshen was the land of freedom, plenty, and nurture 
where God kept his people free and safe from the nearby kingdom of slaves that ruled the world. It's amazing. You can be this close to evil and not corrupted by it. You can be sheltered by a community. You can be sheltered by a Goshen experience. And you don't have to sink into the secular mire of Egypt. It happened for them. Goshen was the land of opportunity to start all over again. So in this sense, Goshen represents the church. The church in our time that harbors a faithful remnant under faithful leadership that obeys God's law, that keeps the commandments and the faith of Jesus. A loving, Christ-filled community of faith that is committed to the cause of God. Joseph was a godly leader of such a group. He was the protector of the clan at Goshen. And he cast his eyes on Goshen to save his family, to nurture it, to make sure it made it. He wasn't in the business of being a leader to look important. He didn't run for office. He was appointed by the providence of God. You know, I wonder what happened if we took politics out of the election process of our church. If we appointed leaders based on humility, based on giftedness, not based on who is kin to who, or whose father served in the church here, or who got a PhD in nonsense, but rather who is called of God to lead the church based on the Word of God, based on the Gospel of God, who will humble themselves and who will stand for right though the heavens fall. That's what we are crying for in our present time. That's what we need before Jesus returns. Joseph was such a leader, a godly leader, He cast his eyes on Goshen to save his family from the famine and the kingdom of slaves, and he got it done for God. Genesis 45, verse 7, And God sent me, he says, before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And Revelation 12, 17 says, The dragon was angry with the woman, went off to make war on the remnant of her seed at the time of the end, who keep the commandments of God, and the testimony of Jesus. We need Josephs today who will do the same thing that Joseph did in his day to preserve a godly remnant for the good of the world. A good shepherd always goes before the sheep. In ancient times, a good general would lead his army into battle. Joseph affirmed to his brothers that we go through challenges in life. You ever been through challenges in life recently in your life? You ever have been knocked down, have the slats pulled out from under your feet and feel like you couldn't get up? Friend, when you go through harsh things, when you go through experiences that challenge your faith, God is prepping you to serve others because people who cannot be kept down are people who can stand for Jesus and service and be consistent in service. And so by the hardship you endure, God is prepping you for a life that really works. Joseph affirmed his brothers that we go through challenges in life to grow into leadership in life. We're not islands unto ourselves. Our lives don't exist just for us. God sends us into trouble. And then he said, God sent me down here. So we can become the good kind of people we need to be to bless others in life. Joseph learned his lesson in prison, the house of the round, the circle of the mundane years in a place locked down by the Egyptians. I mean, if you want to look for injustice in the Bible, the great story that describes injustice is how Joseph was treated by Potiphar, how he was treated by the Egyptians. He was imprisoned because he stood for God and was pure. Joseph learned his lessons in prison, the house of the round. He learned to endure oppression with a smile. You can win with a smile when you can't win with a frown. When kindness prevails, you're the leader in the clan. The whiners, the complainers, the people who feel they're victims aren't leaders. 
people who have moved beyond that to realize they live for others, these are the people that God can use. Friend, Joseph came to the point in his life when he learned that God put him on this planet to bless others and not him. Verse 8, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now Joseph wasn't bragging. Joseph is merely informing his brothers of what God has done in his life for their good. Verse 9, he said, Make haste. Go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. And you shall be near me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. And there I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. Joseph called his father Jacob to come to Goshen for four very good reasons. Let's look at these. Number one, reason number one. In Goshen, Jacob and Joseph would be near each other again. Does that matter? Now, how many of you are growing older and you have kids? I'm in that camp. I have adult children. I don't have grandkids yet. How many of you have grandkids? Now, how many of you... um, aging senior citizens. Now I have gray. It's premature because of all the legal conflicts we've been through. You know what? If it falls out, I won't have gray hair. It's falling a little bit. So my gray hair is going away. You want a cure for gray hair? It's called baldness. So you can pick gray hair or baldness, one or the other. But I'm telling you, as I'm getting older, and I am, I look in the mirror and I say, boy, I'm not 20 anymore. I'm not obsolete either. You know, there's dynamite in these old packages sometimes. But boy, I want to be around my kids. How many of you agree? You want to be around your kids and your grandkids. Don't like them moving off. Well, Dad, it's time for us to move to the other side of the planet. We're old now. Oh, no, drag us with you. Joseph gets it that the old man back in Canaan needs the young man in Egypt for the family to be complete. Family needs to stick together. In Goshen, Joseph would keep his eye on his father and his family because they were near to him. Friend, when parents grow old... Children don't move away from mom and dad altogether. Move toward them in certain creative ways. Life is short. Get every bit of mom and dad you can because that's a legacy you pass on. My wife goes down to to Tennessee all the time and she goes down because mom and dad are down there. She's used COVID as a good excuse when the school shut down. She goes sees mom and dad. She's seen mom and dad more than she's seen me lately. And that's all right. Because we're trying to take mom and dad in our hearts into the future for our children's sake. Reason number two, Goshen is the divinely appointed place for family and children to thrive. Joseph says, your children and your children's children, your flocks, your herds, all that you have can live in Goshen. Now we said they were mostly boys. I mean, of those 70, we only have two girls mentioned directly. So a pack of boys and their mothers and their father came down 
And somehow they had to figure out how to get things moving in the right direction. Goshen, friend, is the place for families to start all over again. The church has got to be a Goshen. It's got to be a place where families in trouble can come and they can figure it out and there's not a bunch of scallywags looking down at them where they can start over again with God. Reason number three, Joseph tells his father that I will provide for you in Goshen. Now, Goshen is the place where God makes ends meet. I like to have my needs provided for. I don't like being out on a limb all the time. And I like to have a few goodies every now and then. How many of you want to have a little prosperity in your life where you get some of those things you want? Some of the things. Anybody here? Oh, you austere group of people. You've got to have a few dreams. Right? Oh, sure you do. Well, Goshen is the place where God makes ends meet through righteous means and godly leaders like Joseph. It's the place where God meets the needs of His people who have been through hard times in life. God wants to give you gifts at times in your life. The Hebrew word for provide here can mean to support in its verbal form. When you are strong, when you are weak, when you feel it, Goshen is the place where you find help, support, and strength. It's a cultivated place. And so God's church here must be that. Goshen doesn't save you or me, friend, in isolation from other lives. God saves us in community as we reach out for other people in a community. Goshen saves us and God nurtures us through others in our land of Goshen experience. So Goshen represents a cultivated community. Reason number four, Goshen is the place where God prospers you so you are rich in the right way. Now this business that God has called us to poverty is nonsense. God has not called His people to poverty. He has not called them to extravagance. He's not called us to the misuse of means. No, He hasn't. But He has not called you to poverty. He's called us to prosperity. Why? Because prosperous people can bless the cause of God. People who provide, people who give, people who contribute are the kind of people who can make a larger difference in a community. God wants giving Christians to occupy Goshen. Goshen is full of the true riches of God's grace because Goshen represents spiritual, relational, personal, and corporate responsibility when lives are right with God. Friend, God has not called you to a withered existence where your life shrivels up on the vine and you don't matter anymore to yourself or to anyone else, where your life becomes a whining, tragic motif. God has not called you to that. God has called you to an optimistic future with a plan and a future and a hope because God has good things in store for you. God has called you to change, no doubt, to make a difference as a self-sustaining Christian empowered by God's grace who helps the cause of God, who marshals divine and personal energy, who collaborates in synergy in the church and resources to help others get to God in grace like you have got there by His providence. God has called you, friend, to live in Goshen. How many of you want to live in Goshen? I want to live in Goshen. I want Goshen here. Reaching Hearts was made to be a Goshen. God has called you to start over again in a cultivated land where you can have fruit in your life. A couple weeks ago, I felt impressed to drive to a guitar center. I like guitar centers, but I spend a lot of time there. And I'll just pick the most expensive guitar on the rack and start playing it because I can't own it. And I can enjoy it as if it's mine for at least 30 minutes. Then I leave it there. And I walked into Guitar Center that day and there was a young lady right next to me who had a guitar and I was next to her. 
And I said, hey, what's your name? And she shared her name with me. Precious person. And she said, can I share my song with you? I said, sure. I took the time. She played a beautiful song she had written. Then I said, can I share my song with you? And she said, yeah. And I played my song, not as skillfully by any means as she played hers. And so the song that I've recently written in this Joseph series. And we talked back and forth. And before you knew it, she got on the phone with one of our young adults. And our young adult group is nurturing this precious child of God. That's Goshen. 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 Friend, God has called us to life, liberty, family, faith, fellowship, the pursuit of happiness that's not selfish for the good of others in Jesus. God has called you to a good future in a land of plenty where you take the good things of God and you pour it in other people's lives. So we had prayer there in that guitar center. And it was a holy moment for me. I realized God had led me there. God had led her there. God had led all of us in a way in our part to play for others. God has called you, dear heart. And I say this with confidence. He's called you to optimism. Never pessimism. Optimism. But not the kind you invent in your own head. God calls you the kind He gives you because of Jesus Christ. Because God has a plan for your life and your family's life that is a good plan. How many of you believe that God has a good plan for my life? Raise your hand high. Act on that. In fact, just say it to yourself. God has a good plan for my family and me. God has a good plan for my family and me. It's good to say that. Now, my children can surprise you every now and then. My son, John Michael, shocked me out of my shoes a few weeks ago when I visited Tennessee. And I said, John Michael, I was giving him some admonitions. He says, Dad, I want to tell you what changed my life. You said one thing at one critical juncture in my life. It changed me forever. I said, what is it? You're three years old. Grow up. I said, I said that to you? He said, yeah, you said that to me, Dad. I said, I'm so sorry, son. I said, he said, no, Dad, don't apologize. I believed you. When you said grow up, I said, I've got to grow up. Well, thank you for joining us for the first portion of The Kingdom of Slaves and the Land of Goshen. That was today's Reaching Your Heart, and you can find many of these messages at reachingyourheart.com. Won't you join us for the worship service? It's held each and every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.